Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punish you, forget it. Oh Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these fifteen... Ten! Ten commandments for all to obey! I think you can agree with me when I say sometimes I wish it were that easy. Uh, Maybe we could drop a few of my least favorite commandments. Do we really need that whole uh, thou shalt not covet thing? I mean, have you seen Bill's car? Uh, And that whole lying one? Could we maybe like put a temporary at least suspension on it? Because um, it is tax season. And and I never really steal, I just borrow for a very extended period of time without permission. Or maybe we could just make the name less intimidating. I mean, the Ten Commandments. That's that's pretty heavy stuff. So a few suggestions, I don't know, maybe we could call them the Ten Suggestions. Or Ten Really Good Pieces of Advice. Or I'm a little partial to maybe making a cute little book and calling it something like All I Ever Really Needed to Know I Learned at Mount Sinai. Sinai. Um, And and to be honest, part of it is we, we don't like being told what to do. I know I do not like being told what to do. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell them, I don't like being told what to do. And some of you are sitting there like this, like I'm not saying that. You're going to tell me what to do? I'm not, I'm not, I, I see what you're doing there. Part of our broken, sinful nature is to rebel. But there it is in black and white. In our holy Bible, God's word, our all-sufficient rule for faith and life. There isn't getting any, there isn't getting around it at all. They are his ten commandments, not his suggestions. And we find them in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it is page 77. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore God, the Lord, has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is one of my favorite. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, again, our desire is that you would speak to us, and that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Let our exposure to your word be transformative. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The Ten Commandments. They're part of Christianity. And I grew up, I grew up in church. I grew up thinking I knew the Ten Commandments. Um, I remember once, I, I, I thought I knew them better than I really did. We were in a children's service and, um, the teacher asked what the Ten Commandments were, and I, I was eager. I was like, ooh, I'm eight, but I know all ten of them. And so I got, I got, I did probably seven or eight of them really well. You know, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I did those really well, and then I got stuck probably around eight. And then I remembered the other two, uh, and I offered up, um, thou shalt not gamble. And uh, the other one that I, I was sure, I was positive on this one, uh, thou shalt not drink beer. <laughs> my, my, little, my little eight or nine year old mind had decided that those were God's intentions. It's interesting, and we're not going to do it right now, but if I were to ask any one individual here to list off the Ten Commandments, they would probably, most of you, get through seven of them. And forget about three of them. But you know what? These are important foundational truths. And so as we look at them, I want you to understand the message that is being offered to us this morning. As we examine our passage, I want you to understand the following things. The very first thing that I notice as I read this passage out of Exodus 20 that so many of us have read so many times. The very first thing I notice is that Moses, Moses who is the writer of Exodus begins this section of his writing by laying down the foundation of who makes the rules and why he gets to make the rules. What Moses writes here is Moses starts in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Exodus 20, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words, saying... So here's Moses. And I think Moses is doing something very subtle that we might not catch at first glance. But Moses, the author of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, is also the author of Genesis. And where's the first time that we encounter God speaking? 
We find it in Genesis chapter 1. Specifically, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 says, And God said. But it doesn't just happen in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. It happens again in 6, in 9, 11, 14, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, and verse 29. Ten times in the first chapter of Genesis do we read those words and God said what's the message that Moses is trying to bring forth you know what Moses is subtly reminding the people of Moses is subtly reminding the people of the fact that he's about to give these commandments of God but these are not commandments that come from Moses these are not commandments that are birthed in him his ideas these are God's words But ultimately, they're the words of God, the creator of everything. Guess what? God is the God of creation. He made everything. And because he made everything, he gets to make the rules. He kind of does it again in in also a, a subtle way. As he's writing Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, he uses a specific name for God. He writes, and God, and and in this case, the name for God is Elohim, and God, Elohim, spoke all these words saying. I think he chooses that name for a specific reason. He could have used any number of names, any number of ways that God had already revealed himself. He could have used the name Adonai, which means Lord. We find that in um, Genesis chapter 15. He could have used El Roi, the God of seeing, or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, or Jehovah Nisi, our banner, or Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God, or El Shaddai, Almighty God, or Everlasting God, Elohim, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Or he could have used what we see in early Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses and he says, I am. He could have used any of these names, but he chooses to use the name Elohim. Why? Well, guess what the name of God that he reveals to Moses during the moment of creation is? We could look at Exodus chapter 1 verse 3 again. And here it says, And God, Elohim, said. We can even go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And it's that same word. In the beginning, who? God. In the beginning, who? Elohim. God created this world, so God makes the rules. If you have a problem with any of the Ten Commandments, I, I, you know, don't take it up with me. I'm just the messenger. Don't take it up with Howard. Uh, I'll allow you to take it up with Will, but just because I want to see him get nervous. <laughs> but they're not my words, they're not Will's words, they're not Howard's words. If you have a problem with the fact that someone says, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not lie, guess who you have to take it up with? You have to take it up with the God of the universe, the God who makes everything, and because he makes everything, he makes the rules. If you have a problem with thou shalt not commit adultery, guess what? That's not my fault. That's not my word. Those are the words of the God of creation who set the universe into motion. And if you have a problem with it, 
Ultimately, you have to take it up with him. I love what it says in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we'll start with verses 24 and 25, and then we'll jump a few verses. And it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And then we jump, one, we jump a couple of verses down, and then it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your poets have said, For we are indeed his offspring. I like when my children are obedient, and it drives me crazy when they're not. We are the offspring of God, and I'm sure he takes great pleasure when we recognize his position to make the rules in our life and is disappointed when we choose to rebel. He is still the God of all creation. When I was a child, I remember singing the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. I'd sing more, but I'm sure that's enough. He still has the whole world in his hands. He still makes the rules. His standing as creator of everything gives him that authority. I like the way Dennis Prager uh, puts it. Dennis Prager puts it this way. If it isn't God who declares murder wrong, murder isn't wrong. Without God, right? And wrong are just opinions. But when the, when the God of the universe says, Thou shalt not, I would suggest that thou shalt not. And here's what I find amazing is that as God speaks in Genesis and He speaks, whatever He speaks, Happens. There's an expectation that creation falls into line in obedience. For example, when God says, let there be light, guess what happens? There's light. Creation falls into obedience. That's the divine order. That all of creation would respond to his word in obedience. And yet we are so quick to rebel. Yes, as you read the Ten Commandments, remember the authority of the one who makes the rules. But why does he make the rules? Sometimes we look at rules and we think rules are so oppressive and hard. If you ask a teenager, rules are designed to take away fun. But that's not the case. I had a great um, conversation with Will uh, this, this week. And then we were talking about God's rules and ultimately we, we came, he helped me come to the understanding that, you know what, God's rules are there. Not because he desires to put oppressive burdens on us. But they're there because he loves us. And he loves us so much that as we examine the rules, he loves us so much that he desires that we live in right relationships. 
Our God is a relational God and he desires that we would live in right relationship first with him and also with others. So as we examine the Ten Commandments, as we examine these words that God has laid forth, we begin to understand that some of those are there to ensure that we have a right relationship with God. As we examine the Ten Commandments, we begin to understand how he expects us to approach him. We do not come to God on our terms because if we could come to God on our terms, then our redemption would be very subjective because I might like the thou shalt not commit adultery. I might like whatever, but you might like something different. If we don't come to God on God's terms, if we come to uh, to God in our own terms, guess what? I might like to serve one living God, but you might like to see God in the flowers or in nature, or maybe you're a good rancher and you see God in a good old white face. No, God establishes the parameters by which we can approach him and we see these commandments in the Bible to ensure that we have a right relationship with God. We see things like, do not have any other God before me. These are commandments to ensure a right relationship with God. Don't have any other God before me. Why? Why does he give the, the, the Israelites this commandment? You know why? He, he kind of sets it forth there at the beginning of Genesis. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. Not only did I bring you out of Egypt, I brought you out of the house of slavery. If it were not for me, you would still be in Egypt. You would still be serving as slaves. Don't put any other God before me because no other God did that for you. I did. And it's interesting as we look at the ten plagues that happened before the the Israelites were uh, coming out of Egypt. Those ten plagues, guess what, are a poke in the eye at each one of, at several of the Egyptian gods. God said, I just wanted to remind you that none of those gods did that for you. There's one God who did that for you, and that one God is worthy of your worship. Sometimes we don't recognize what he has done for us, and so we don't give him the priority in our time, in our giving, or in our living. Sadly, we give him leftovers. God says, I want to ensure that you have a right relationship with me, and to do that, you have to understand I'm the only God there. And then he also adds this other one. He says, don't make or worship any idols. Tim Keller says idolatry happens when we take good things and make them the ultimate things. Only God is ultimately worthy of our worship. What are some of the good things that sometimes we put up and place as idols? You know what? Sometimes it's money. Is money a bad thing? No. If you think it's a bad thing, I have a perfect solution for you. I can wait for you out in the great hall after service and you can just write me a big fat check, empty your account. I'm happy to take that for you. Get it off your hands if it's bad. It's not bad, but sometimes it becomes the priority in our life. And in that moment, it becomes the ultimate thing. And it becomes an idol. We can talk about things like our family. I love my family. They are a good thing. But when they become the ultimate thing in which I look for satisfaction and purpose and life, it becomes an idol. Good things are not to be designed to be our ultimate source of security. We cannot go deeper with God if we are clinging to something other than him to give us life and hope and purpose. He goes on to say, do not carelessly use the name of God. God deserves our reverence and respect. We would never in anger or frustration in front of one of our presidents, past or present, disrespect their name. If you were at a Habitat 
build with our current president and you hit your thumb with the hammer, you wouldn't say, Obama! You would not do that. Don't worry. I, I'm, I'm I, behind the pulpit. I, I, I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. If you spilt your milk, you wouldn't say, George Bush! But we carelessly use the name of God who is present everywhere and in every moment. He also says, take time to find rest and be renewed in God. In the New Testament, we, we, we read that the Sabbath was not, uh, that man was not made for the Sabbath, but rather that the Sabbath was made for man. God has a desire of this idea of rest and renewal to bless us. It is for us. And he set it apart as holy. You can also read, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. God gives these commandments to ensure a right relationship with God. But then he also continues, because when we have a right relationship with God, I say it as we pass the peace every time, when we have a right relationship with God, we are enabled, we are empowered to have right relationships with those around us, with our fellow man. And then he takes time to mention six commandments that help us live in right relationships with man. Our relationships matter to God. So much so that in the New Testament, he says, if you come to the altar to give an offering and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering. Go and reconcile with your brother and then come back and give. That's God putting priority and emphasis on our relationship with each other. He's like, okay, great, you have a right relationship with me, but in that, I want to build you also to have a right relationship with those around you. There are six commandments that help us in thinking of the things that we need to live in right relationships with each other. Number one is give your parents the respect that they deserve. And this is great because it comes with a promise that you may live long in the land that God gets you. Why does he put that commandment in there? You know why? Because there is a picture of us being the offspring of our parents that reminds us of who God is as our father. When I respect those who gave life to me, I understand and learn about respecting and honoring the ultimate giver of life. He gives commandments like value all human life. Guess what? We are all created in his image. As a kid, we sang it. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white and brown, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We are all created in his image. Red, yellow, black, white, brown, it does not matter. And that's why he says... Put value on human life because you are dealing with someone created in my image. We value all colors. We value all life, born and unborn. We value all 
as creations of God made in his image. We value Christians. And we value Muslims too. God has said, value life. God says, honor your marriage promise. Again, how does that make that? Why does that even make the list? Because ultimately, in our understanding of our relationship with our spouse, we find a clearer understanding of the church's relationship with God. The Bible calls him the bridegroom. And we are his bride. He says, do not steal. Because that breaks relationships with those around you. And it's a lack of faith and trust in God to provide. God says, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. He writes, do not lie. Why? Because when we lie, we're not displaying the character of Christ. The fact is that when we lie, we're ultimately displaying the character of our enemy. The Bible says Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. When we lie, we're allowing Satan to parent the words that are coming from our mouth. And then he finishes them off with learn to be content. Don't covet, be happy with what you have. I like the way Paul writes it. He says godliness with contentment is great gain. It's interesting that these Ten Commandments can be categorized out into two main ideas. Those that deal with our relationship with God and those that deal with our relationship with man. And then we see in our New Testament passage, when the Pharisees come to Christ, hoping to trap him, hoping to get him to say one commandment so that they might have reason to say, well, then we don't have to follow anything else, hoping, hoping that he would make, mention one law and that, that maybe they could respond by throwing all the other laws in his face and say, what about this? What about that? What about the other? They say, which is the greatest commandment? And he answers. He answers. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love God. Huh. Those four, first four commandments that we talked about. And then he says, but wait. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this bold statement. He says, all of the law and all of the prophets hinge on these two ideas. God gets to make the rules because he created everything. And those rules are designed that we might live in right relationship with God and in right relationship with each other. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness. We recognize that you make the rules. Uh, ultimately, this is your world. We just live it.